Hey, Michael. How you doing? Good. I'm going to turn it this way. Perfect. Yeah, because it's always like better that view. Okay. How's it going? Going well. How you doing? I'm doing good. It's so cool to see that you're doing this. I know. I'm, I'm really excited. You were, you were one of the first people that I wanted to have on anyway. Really? Yeah. Oh, Mike. Um, because I, I always told Britt that, I mean, even during class, sometimes I would always want to pick your brain. And then especially since we started the yoga teacher training, mm -hmm. I'd catch myself constantly having something to say, but then have to filter it out to recognize if it's appropriate for the task at hand or if yeah. it's just my own personal curiosity. So as those continue to add up, I said, she's the, she's the exact person that I want to interview Aww. on this podcast. So yeah, I'm really excited. Um, no, I'm excited for you. When I saw that you, um, that you posted it and I saw like, you know, when I saw Britt posted too, I was like, oh my God, this is so great because you're so, you're like the perfect person to do something like this. Cause you're just so, um, you're, you're, you're such in a space of inquiry and you're always looking for knowledge and discovering things. So I think it's really cool that you're doing this. I I'm, I'm excited for you. And, and that's why I relate to you a lot too. So most people in my life, I feel if they haven't met you yet, they already know who you are just for me and Britt talking about our yoga experience and our friend Larissa. But for people that are listening in the future, Larissa is the founder and owner of Be Yoga and Dance in Staten Island, New York. She has been my yoga instructor and mentor for over, I think over 10 years now. Wow. Um, and she's become a good friend to my wife, Britt and I. And um, she also does a ton of community work um, she offers yoga classes for the community and you more recently over the last year or so have been bringing mindfulness and yoga into public schools, right? Yeah. So I have a ton that I want to pick your brain about, but what I first wanted to ask you was just um, more in depth about how you got into yoga and then how you eventually got into teaching yoga or what made uh, you transition into teaching just from being a practitioner? Yeah. So um, it's interesting because I've been a dancer my whole entire life. So I've always been fascinated with movement, you know, and um, I always knew that I wanted to do something within the movement field. But in reality, like with dance, I never really had the courage to kind of like follow it. You know, that's why it's interesting. You mentioned Brit. That's one thing I always say to, to Brit. I'm like, Brit, I live vicariously through you. And I really do. I really do. Like, I'm so like happy for her to see her doing that. But it's kind of something I've always wanted to do. But the thing that kind of got in the way for me was um, just like fear, the fear of rejection, the fear of failure and things like that. So that was always very heavy on me, like throughout my whole entire life. And then I found yoga. It was very interesting. Like I was working in the city and I was working at this not-for-profit called Henry Street Settlement. And I really loved the work that I was doing. I was a job developer there. I was helping um, people in 2008. When Remember when there was like the big, huge layoff that happened in 2008? Right. So many people lost their jobs. I had experience prior to that in recruiting because I worked in the recruiting industry corporate with my brother and I hated it. I hated okay. corporate. I say like, I felt like my soul was being sucked out I, of I me. I can't like, picture you in corporate. I hated it. And you know, I was good at it because one thing I can do is like, I'm able, like one thing I'm able to do is like, okay, if this is what I'm doing, then I'm going to do it and I'll do it well. Right. And I take my stuff and I put it aside, but in the background, it's like, ah, like, you know, I just didn't want to really do it. So, um, after that didn't work out, I ended up looking for a job like within that same field because I had my son and I had to work, you know, and I was like, you know, I could see myself working a little bit more in the service industry and doing maybe this kind of work because it was, you know, um, something I was doing for a while. So I started working in Henry Street Settlement as a job developer and it was like a free program called like the Job Essentials Training Program. 
And we basically, people would come off the street, all different types of people, people who were maybe in shelters, people who just lost their jobs on Wall Street, people who lost their jobs as teachers, like whatever it was, right? And they would come through our job essentials training program and they would go for like interview um, and resume, like preparation and all this kind of stuff. And then I would sit with them and I would like coach them on what are things that they were like passionate about. It's interesting. It's, I just, I'm just making that connection. And, um, you know, and I would help them like kind of figure out like what it is that they want to do. And I was really good at writing resumes and making people mm. sound like, woo, you know, like based off. And they are really like that. But I was really able to do that on paper. To get to see the, the best versions of themselves. Yeah. Like I was really because my brother taught me how to do that really well. So I was really good at it. And a lot of times people would come to me and they would go out and they get jobs. And it was like really and it was like a really good feeling. But after like two and a half years, the place was located in the Lower East Side. And I really didn't want to leave the job, but it got to a point with traveling. Like I would leave so early. I get home so late. And Aiden was only like three years old. I never saw him. I really didn't. Like he was in school. Then he was with my yeah, parents. And it was really tough. Like that was like a big thing for me. And I always said like, I didn't want to, I knew like my, my, um, my circumstances in a way, because I was a single mom and I had to like work, obviously, but I was like, what else could I possibly do? But what really started to happen is I started getting very stressed out and anxious. And I never really suffered from any of that before. So while I was working there, there was a gym around the corner and um, they offered yoga classes. And I was like, oh, let me like try yoga. Like I tried yoga one other time before at this place. Um, I forget where it was. And it wasn't really, I didn't, I, I didn't jive with it too much, but then I started taking yoga at this gym and it was vinyasa, which is what mm. I teach. And the girl, it was just a very like simple vinyasa class. It was so clean. And I was like, I remember being an extended side angle. I swear to God, I was an extended side angle. I was like, I think I could do this. I thought that was, it was, that was, I was like, I could teach yoga. I remember having, it was just that simple. Small I didn't have aha this, moment. Like, yeah, it wasn't like a huge, like, oh, like it was, it was just a small little moment. Like, yeah, like I could do this. And I, I was, I was making the connection because I was realizing like how much it was helping me, you know, mm. and all, and how I was just feeling like after I took that 45 minute class, I would, I would take a shower and I'd go back to work and like, I felt good. And I was like, okay, there's something to this. And then the job started getting like heavier and heavier. There was like people in and out. I was like the only person who was like there for a while. And like a lot of the brunt of the work was like falling on me. And then I gave my, gave in my resignation of like, I gave him four weeks and I was, and I, I spoke to Mike, I was like, Mike, I think I'm going to do like, I think I want to become a yoga teacher. He's like, that's what you're going to do. I was like, yeah. He's like, but risk, like I was losing, like, I was even like a big job. It wasn't like a little job. Right. It's like, I was making good money. You know, I had full benefits, paid vacation. It was a great job. And I was like, yeah, I just can't do this anymore. And how many years were you practicing yoga at that point? I wasn't even practicing that long. I was probably practicing maybe Michael, like maybe a couple of months, like six nice. months. Nice. You know, it wasn't really long, but you know what it is? I think because of my dance background and you know what it you is? You felt comfortable. I did. And like, I, I, I studied a lot of different types of dance. Like I was very big into like improv and like doing a lot of body release somatic practices. So there was very much of like a cross between mm. it. And I was doing that for many years. So it didn't really... As much as it was something new, it was something like that was still very familiar to me. It wasn't too, I, in, too intimidating. Yeah. And I was able to like, ca like catch on to it pretty easily. And then um, I decided to leave my job and I enrolled right into a yoga teacher training in this place called um, Yoga People, which is no longer, it, it's no longer there. And it was a great vinyasa teacher training program. I was exposed to like different styles of yoga, which was pretty cool. Like one of my teachers, Donalyn, who's like, I'm friends with her on Facebook. She was like the main vinyasa teacher. And she was like, she taught us like Ayurveda, as well as like anything about the subtle body. 
And then I had this really great, I can't remember his last name because it's been so many years, but he was really focused on teaching us about like um, Iyengar yoga. And then I had, I just had lots of great teachers from different styles. So it was like a very well-versed training. And, um, and I just, it was a regular 200 hour teacher training. And what I did was I was able to get the teacher training for like half off because I worked at the studio partially, like I negotiated that. So I was doing like sign in and I remember being in the studio and like when I was working there, I was like, I really like this. Like I could, I could see myself doing this. You know what I mean? And I was working behind the desk, signing people in and doing all that kind of stuff. And so after I got my 200 hour teacher training, I was, I was teaching dance at the time at my girlfriend, Heidi's dance studio, evolution dance company. And I was teaching modern dance there and she let me teach classes there. So I started teaching yoga there. Nice. And then my son was taking karate lessons at Cali Karate in Staten Island. And they gave me like an opportunity to teach classes there. Cool. And then after that started to happen, you know, I started to create like people started coming, you know, at first nobody really came. My mom was the one who always came, you know, still to this day, my mom. <laughs> I was going to say, um, yeah, she's still, she's still there. Still there, still my number one supporter always, you know, and, um, and like my friends came and things like that. But, um, after like doing that for a while, it wasn't until I also like in the meantime, remember I, I, you know, I have, I have a kid, I have to make money. So I also like, at one point I noticed my weight was going up a little bit. So I did, I joined Weight Watchers and I lost like 20 pounds off of Weight Watchers. And then I was in Weight Watchers in the meeting. And this is Michael, it's really interesting. This is where my facilitator stuff really came in because I was somebody who never, ever thought, and I know I shared that with you. Like, I never thought that I would, uh, like be a public speaker. Right. Me? Like I get red and I, I, I sweat, like, you know, there's all these different things I'm sweating now because it's hot in the studio, <laughs> but, um, you know, like I never considered myself to be somebody who could speak publicly in front of people. And, um, I'll never forget, like, again, I'm, I'm, I'm at Weight Watchers and, um, I noticed that they were hiring and I was like, they were looking for people to do like the sign in and like, they're looking for people who were very considerate and kind, like to do the weigh-ins for each week. And you had to be a certain way with people because it's a very sensitive topic, you know, Definitely. people coming in, getting weighed. And so after I was there for like a month, the manager comes up to me. She's like, Larissa, we want to send you for leader training. I was like, really? She's like, yeah. So I, I got flown out to South Carolina. Nice. I went to this like weekend leadership training. I came back and then I was a leader at Weight Watchers and I had like six meetings. I, I became rookie leader of the year. Nice. And it was pretty cool. I had a meeting. They gave me a meeting that was on like Friday mornings. There was like nobody showing up because the, the leader was kind of like in transition. And I, I remember I grew that meeting to like 90 people a week. Wow. It was That's huge. Like, huge. Yeah. And I got so many people to their goal weight and I got them to their goal weight by basically telling them, informing them, like giving them advice to like eat just whole foods. Cause I was vegan still at the time too. Right. Cause that's always been a big part of my life. And like a lot of, a lot of people lost weight cause they were just making better choices. So that all happened. And then from there, I started practicing at five borough by borough with mm. Karen, because um, what happened was that some, one of the ladies who used to come in there, she's like, I know you like Larissa, you teach yoga, you're into yoga. You should really try this new studio that opened up. And then I went to practice there and I tried out um, Karen's class. And I remember just loving Baptiste yoga. Like, I was going to say, was that the first time that you were introduced to Baptiste? Exactly. Okay. Like it was from Karen and from there. And I remember like just going there because it was very different, like as much. And it, I mean, it's vinyasa, which is all like, you know, connected but the empowerment aspect of it and the that that was the thing like like really addressing like pushing yourself to the edge and questioning like what what's possible and all that stuff really spoke to me because I was I, I was somebody like I said before who was always like afraid to kind of speak my truth and follow what 
you know, was, you know, what I really wanted to do with my life. And I kind of always like hid in the corner. And what happened is like, it's weird because like a natural path of like leadership and like coming out started to open up for me without even me like knowing that that was what I was supposed to do. You know what I mean? It just started to kind of happen for me like that. And then that's when I started practicing over there. And then I did the 40 day program to 40 days to a personal revolution program by Baron Baptiste, the ones that I run at the studio. And I didn't tell anybody I was a yoga teacher when I was over there. Cause I mm. just didn't want anybody to know. Like I, I, cause like sometimes like when people know you're a yoga teacher, they're like, Oh, when you go to a yoga studio, it's I'll not really true. And- it's not true, but yeah. it's like what I created in my mind. Like, Oh, you know, so they're going to put an expectation on me. Like that's all my little small talk in my mind. Right. So I didn't tell anybody, but then it came out in the 40 day program. And then Karen was like, I'm mentoring you to do Baptiste yoga. I was like, really? She's like, yeah. So then I started like working under her. And then I went to level one in June, 2012 with Baron. And then it kind of took off from there. And I was over there for five and a half years and it was great. You know, it's had its like moments. And then what really, why I left is because I wanted to do things differently and I wanted to do my own thing. Like it got to a point where I like kind of outgrew that space. And then my husband, Mike was like the push for me to kind of just be like risks, like, there's a really great space on Bay Street. Why don't you, why don't we go check it out? And then that's where it kind of landed me to here. So, so now that's, I, I love that because you took two big risks. You took the risk of yeah. leaving your nice job or a good, comfortable job with a nice pay vacation um, to then go search for deeper meaning in your yoga practice and something that was calling you. And then you, something else deeper was calling you after that time of practicing and then um, teaching a little bit at five borough right yeah and then so to take that chance of then opening up your own business business is is huge that's a big risk so now um how did you assess that how did you make sense of that how did you did you have to you know really just say to yourself okay it's it's all on me i totally trust myself and not really think about the possibility of failure or you know how did you make sense of that in that time to open up your own studio No, it's a good question. You know, it's interesting to think about it because like when I look at all the things that were happening on the background of that too, like, you know, Mike and I were in this other apartment and then we had, we ended up leaving it. And, um, I ended up during that time moving in with my grandfather, my poppy. Mm. And, um, so he had Alzheimer's disease. So I was there for like four and a half years. So I would, I was helping take care of him. Um, and then even through that, I got pregnant because I got married and then I got pregnant and then I had Lila. So I, oh, it's, it's interesting because if, if me, Mike and I didn't have to leave that apartment that we left, I never would have ended up with my grandfather. And if I didn't end up with my grandfather where I didn't really have to like pay rent, like we just gave a little bit of money towards my mom because we were like right. saving up money and my mom, you know, and we were taking care of him like basically all night long. That's what kind of created the possibility for me to then take a risk to open up a business because right. there wasn't really much. It's like, I, I, I was in a safe place. You know what I mean? Right. I think if I was living in my other apartment, I possibly wouldn't have taken the jump as much just because I have kids. You know what I mean? I was going to say, yeah, because you're a mom too. And, yeah. and the fact that you're a mom and a business owner at the same time, that's extremely difficult. That was like a big thing. And like, I feel like, I feel like that kind of happened where, okay, well, that, that apartment that we loved got like taken away from us, but then we ended up with my grandfather. And that was like some of the most like enriching moments of my life, being able to be with him at the end of his life. And it's him who really created the possibility for me to go and open up the studio because financially I could make it work. And you know what it is too, like being at, at Fireboro, I was there, I was teaching a lot of the classes like during the week and 
you know, I had a huge following. Like I had a lot of people right, yeah. who came to my classes every week. So that's what made me not like afraid to do it. You know, I was like, I have a lot of people that show up for me weekly that come to my classes. And then during that time too, like I was assisting in a teacher training, Karen's first teacher training that she was doing there. And I just had Lila at the time. And the fact that like, I looked at myself and I was like, I taught all throughout my pregnancy. I, t- I, I got to a point where I was like on bed rest and I wasn't supposed to be in the heated room and I wasn't listening to my obstetrician, which I know is really bad, but I sat, I sat while I taught. So I would put the chair in the front because I had my big belly and I sat and I taught my classes there. And then I taught all the way up until like two weeks before. And the fact, I think like that, I was able to do that. Like I just kept showing up. I just kept showing so up. Do you think that your work up. just made it undeniable to you? I think so. Yeah. And, you know, it's like an aspect of my, I, you know, I was just talking about this with my dad. Like, you know, I, I feel like I'm somebody, if there's like one thing I can say about myself, like I have good work ethic in that way. Like I just continue. I just like, if, it, if I'm agreeing to do this, like this is what I'm going to do. Like, even if I mess it up a little bit, I'll take accountability and I'll recommit and do it again. But I, if I, if this is what I'm saying I'm doing, like, I'm going to do it. That's something that I've always kind of trusted and done. And I learned that from my dad. My dad's always had really good work ethic. Like right. no matter what my father, like would do what he needed to do to take care of what needs to get taken care of and not get stuck in like storyland. He was like, this is what we have right. to do. And that's it. And I'm like, okay. And I think and I got that's that. Where the, that. That's where the trust comes in. Yeah. And, you know, and just doing that. And so I think that I would say like, it was just kind of seeing how I was able to manage all of that. I was, ma- I was managing my poppy managing Aiden, you know, my daughter, you know, working, assisting team. I was like, right. I can, I think I could do it. Like, I think I could, I could open up a business. And I, and the worst thing I said is like, you know what? It's, it won't take that much money to do the worst thing. Like if it fails, it fails. Like I was willing, I was kind of willing to fail because I've been through so much in my early twenties. Like, you know, what I went through with my son's father and being like in an abusive relationship and taking the risk of moving. Like I, I've already hit rock bottom. Right. Like but you weren't afraid, bottom. yeah. Like bad, bad rock, rock bottom to the point where I was like, "How am I going to eat?" Like you know, like today, like what is it that like? How am I going to figure this out? Like to the point where I was depressed and for a couple of years. So I was like, "Well, I was there and I survived that." <laughs> so I love that. If I take this risk, what you know, what could really happen? I lose some money. I have my mom. I have my dad. I have my family to support me. So I think a big part of it is like knowing that you have support systems. And I think that's what made it like that. That's what made it clear. Like, okay, if I do fail, I have people who are going to help me out no matter what. And I was willing to take the risk because, you know, something I'd always think about, like, I don't want to be like lying in my deathbed kind of thinking, oh, well, you should have did that. Right. Should have tried this. Even if I fail, like, that's why you'll be happy that you took the chance. I took the chance. And even if it didn't work out, like even during the pandemic, it was like scary. Like, you know, at first I was like, oh my God, if I have to close, but I've, I've, because of the pandemic though, I've actually come to terms with like the fact that, yeah, maybe this will end and it's okay. Mm. You know what I mean? Cause nothing is permanent, you know? And, and you're someone that always is learning too. You're always curious. And even me being your student and watching you, uh, how you've changed and just grown over time is, is incredible. Like the fact that you're now bringing mindfulness and yoga into the public school system and just the community in general is amazing. So, um, you're kind of making yourself, uh, I guess, ad- adaptable for any situation. And, and that in turn gives you even more trust as you go on to, to take the appropriate risk, I guess, as, as your life happens. Yeah. You know, I, I would say that's like the key, like the key thing with um, it's I, I, I'm always in training, you know, I'm always, and I'm always like deepening my own personal practice. I you know when I think of increase, obviously like there's moments where, you know, I fall right. off. But I, you know, what I think, I think the big thing, the biggest thing that I think I've gotten from like my yoga practice and my mindfulness practice is that 
Like it's okay if you mess up, as long as you just like and, take and that, accountability. That I think is the biggest hurdle for most people is that they, think it, they don't think it's okay. And that's yeah. why they're too afraid to maybe take that risk. Like you were saying, like you've already been there. So you were almost comfortable with if, if you ended up there again, or if you ended up in a close place to that rock bottom, you realize that you survived, you came out of it. And that that's why maybe you're willing to take the leap. I think if more people can make sense of that, um, then themselves in their own way, um, maybe they would take more chances too. And that's something that I try to communicate to people, but I, I guess it has to be experienced in your own way. Like you were saying. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting too, like, because it's that, that it, like the adaptability that you were talking about also, I think that has a lot to do with it too, because I think what, you know, if I think about this, the business in general, like the studio in general, you know, why we survived the pandemic, I would say, is that we were the first yoga studio to be online. Yeah. Like it closed. Big and the deal. next day I was on, um, you know, I, I, was I remember that the next day. I was because and you know it's so funny because I was just having a conversation with Mike Mike and um you know because I'm like a pain in the ass like a little bit like I am I, I'm like a pizza I'm super fiery I like to get I don't I lack patience which is a big mindfulness thing and that's always what I'm working on right I'm not involved like I'm not a guru I'm I'm no I am a human being who is just here practicing Real. and I that's it like you know and I'm I could be a major pain in the ass but you know I was like I was like Mike I really need you to do this flyer for me because you know he does all the graphics stuff and things like that. He's like, you know, it's like, you're so impatient. I was like, well, my impatience is why we are where we are. And he looked at me, he's like, that's a really good point. Because he, you know what I mean? Like, cause like, I'm constantly like, okay, well let's go. Like, what do we have to do? I could be too much. I totally know that I could be a little too much and I get ahead of myself. And then that's where Mike, my husband, like Mike comes in and like balances me out. Cause he's very cool. Like, I feel like you're like Mike and then yes. Rich like me. Yes. I, do. I, I even I, remember I when, that. when that when that moment happened, I remember looking at Britain asking her, I wonder if Larissa will do online classes. And then within maybe 12 hours, we saw the announcement. It was up. It was up. Because I, yeah. I and I like so as soon as we closed, I was like, Mike, I was like, we need to get online. He's like, OK, well, this is he's funny. He's like, well, we need to look at it. I'm like, no, Zoom. I saw somebody in California do it. Like one of my friends that own a Baptist studio, they're doing it on Zoom. I'm doing it like that. And he's like, oh, okay. And then Pam came in, my manager, and we were like, up. Oh. And I'll never forget that first class, we had like 75 people on it. Because yeah. people were like, holy crap. I was, and like, that's the thing. Like, you, it, it's crazy because, you know, and this is something really interesting. Like, yoga and business are very interesting places to be in. Yeah. Because, like, as a business owner, you do have to have that sort of like a little bit of like, as much as I don't like to say it, but you have to constantly be on the cutting edge of like, okay, we got, well, what's next? How do we keep the business? That, that's why I always, I always find what you're doing really interesting because you have to be that person that's always facilitating mindfulness and leading yoga classes and make, making sure that the community is the right atmosphere, but also have that business mindset where you need to keep the doors open. And, um, and it's like, funny, that's, and I would say that's probably been like my hardest thing to kind of find the middle path with, you know, it's because I, I have a tendency to be like a little much of a hustler. Like I'll jump on opportunities and things like that. But then what happens is I, I, I and I've, I've experienced it a few times where I start to experience like burnout a little bit, you mm. know? So what I'm learning to do now is like delegate more and ask for help. Like, you know, that's like things that I'm asking for. Like I teach just my six classes. I don't step into sub anymore. Like I, I try to find ways that I could like help other people, like help me out more. But that is, it's weird because like, but like yoga, when we think about even the eight limbs of yoga and the yamas, the yamas and the niyamas, like santosha, like contentment, being okay with what mm. you have as a business owner, you can't, 
always be that's, okay with what you that's hard. have. That's hard. You know, it's like, so it's interesting. It's like, so how do you like, how do you work the eight limbs and like follow them? Right. But at the same time, like, you know, stay on the cusp of like your business and, and working it. So that's always like the hard part to kind of be. I, I, th- I think about that, even my development as a person, you know, even my yeah. development as a person, sometimes I'll ask myself, how do I be content with where I am, but also continue to have that same burning fire to always continue to go forward and, and continue to try to grow. Finding that balance is always interesting to me because I'll notice sometimes I tend to be on the more content side and then sometimes I'll be on more of the feel like I need to be nonstop productive side um, yeah. or just continuing to move forward. But finding that middle path is definitely my biggest challenge right now too. Yeah. That, that, and you know, it's interesting, like something that's really, uh, that's been like kind of helping me find that balance. And it's going to be crazy that I'm saying this, but it's like surfing because, you know, I mm. took up surfing like over the pandemic and um, that, I just went out. That makes sense though. It does because like, you know, no wave is ever the same and you it's the most unexpected thing. And, you know, there's, there's a little bit of consistency where, you know, they come in sets like of three and you time them and you watch them, but you just never know like how you're going to be able to like ride it in. And it's like, when you think about, when I think about like mindfulness and, and just like, even myself, like this is something that Thich Nhat Hanh, like and, and Pematron, like Thich Nhat Hanh really teaches this a lot. Like, it's all about like how, like your joy and your suffering are always sitting right next to each other, mm. you know? And so like, just like contentment sits next to the fire, sits mm. next to the impatience. And it's like, they're always, it's, I think it's always going to be like have to this. Be together. Yeah. And they're always going to be like an ebb and flip. It's like a wave. It's always going to be an ebb and flow. But I think what happens when you go too far with one, right? The wave can take you out. Right. You, know, you don't catch a wave at all. Right. But it's like, how do you just like learn to ride like all of them at the same time? Cause they're always all existing at the same time. And that's like, that's where like presence and like our power of our awareness comes in because when we're aware, right. And that's really, you know, when people talk about like um, just enlightenment in general, like, you know, they, a lot of people feel like, and some people do have moments where they get like, Whoa, like really enlightened, like in a moment, but really what like Pema Trojan talks about is like the power of our awareness is really what enlightenment is like just to mm. be aware and conscious, a conscious human being. Cause then, then we're able to see, okay, well, where am I holding on too tight? Where am I holding on too loose? Where do I put my attention a little bit more to kind of find that space where I can move with everything all at once? You know what I mean? And that's why, that's why mindfulness practice is so powerful because, and that's why it's changing people's lives and yoga in general, because it's a practice of presence. Right. And that's, and that's the simplicity of it. It's just that's being it. aware and you don't that's have it. to do too much more. And and, and often like, I catch myself overcomplicating it, thinking I need yeah. to do certain things instead of just being present. And usually things end up falling into place if I'm prepared, uh, you know, ahead of time. Um, and the, I, no, yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting. Like just kind of like, so pulling back, even just my story, when I think about it, it's like, look, I went completely to burnout, right? Mm. So I went completely to one way. And then that burnout had to happen for me to kind of find something new. Mm. And then through the finding like yoga, it kind of got me aware. And then I made a shift and a change. And it's always kind of then the, then the path itself just revealed itself for me. Right. You know what I mean? So it's kind of, it's always like right there. Like, so do, do you like think that. that you would have found that without yoga? Do you think you would have found like another discipline or do you think yoga was probably the best one to maybe come into your life and to be used as a vehicle to find that? You know, it's, um, when I was like, when I was 16 years old, I was really, um, heavy into like, you know, not like heavy, heavy, but I was very much just like hardcore music and punk rock music. And I used to go to shows and stuff like that. 
And so there was a, that's how I got into veganism and I got into mm. animal rights activism and I got into feminism and I was always like around that kind of stuff. And I was even straight edge for a little while, you know, and I hung out with a lot of people who were into that. But I remember I used to go into the city. Um, I used to go into um, the East Village. And, you know, remember, you know, the Hare Krishnas that yeah. used to always yeah, walk yeah. around with their orange robes. And I used to always be infatuated with them. I don't know why. And there was something I, I was always drawn to Krishna. And I used to, my, my girlfriend, Lisa, we used to go to the Krishna temple when I was like 16, 17, because a very big part of like Krishna consciousness and like Krishna is connected to like bhakti yoga, which is about love and devotion. And Krishna consciousness is all about coming from a space of love and appreciation and honoring like all beings and, and bowing to the, bowing to Krishna. But when I would go to, you know, I would go to the Krishna temple and it was, it, it was just, uh, I was very drawn to Krishna and also like Indian culture. So there was always some sort of like connection and I saw yoga and I was always interested in it, but there was always this fear, kind of like what I was saying before, like with the dancing, like I was, I was afraid. I don't know what right. it is. Am I going to be able to do it? And I kind of had lots of stories around it, but it wasn't until I was in a crisis, right? right. Like I, I, I was in a crisis that, that, that it like showed up for me. And then like, so sometimes like, that's why we can't look at our crises is like as bad things. Like, do, do you think some, we need pressure sometimes? Like sometimes pressure like I that? think. Sometimes I think it's the pressure that makes the transformation. Think of a diamond, right? Like, how, like how does a diamond, you know, coal gets right. so pressured that it becomes the diamond? You know, it's like there's even just like the one of the the, the um, teachings of the Yoga Sutra. It's like you dig and dig and dig into the like. Okay, so you have an option, right? There's many. There's a whole entire ground in front of you. You could dig many small holes and you won't get into anything. But if you stay in that same hole and you dig, and there's going to be stuff that comes up. That's where you find the water, right? Mm. The well, you know. So. It's like a rose has thorns. That's something that BKS Iyengar right. would I say. You know what I mean? You know, he would say that all the time. Like, look at the beauty of a rose, but it has thorns. And so I, I think I think as human beings, we have to accept that suffering is a part of how we develop ourselves as like as 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 people, you know what I mean? And our consciousness grows from that. But it's only if we have that sort of mindset around it. If we move into victimhood and like why me and get stuck in the story of it that's where it could go like the other way, which you know? is, it's easy to get hooked into that sometimes. And then, and then you I, don't realize when you get hooked into it. Absolutely. And I've been there plenty of times in my life where I've done that. And, you know, even today, like someday, but you know, sometimes I still get even stuck in it, but I think the difference now is like, it's the, it's the time. You spend less, time, less time there, less time there. Like I'm like, I, I'm there. And then I also can, I also talk myself out of it. Like Mike's so funny. Cause like, He's like, you're like a therapy therapist for yourself. Cause I'll be like, oh, you know what I mean? Like I talk to myself out loud and like, he, and I also, I'll tell him like, you know, Mike, I, you know, this is happening to me and I'm feeling this way, but I know it's not really me. And I know, I know this is just the way that I'm thinking. And he just looks at me sometimes and he's like, you know, it's just really funny. And you but, need to hear your thoughts out loud almost to make yeah. sense of them. I totally so, talk to myself out loud all the time. Um, have you, so now have you seen people that you've taught and, and at the studio have similar experiences with yoga and, you know, um, similar life changes or, you know, aha moments. Like what's that been like owning your own studio and seeing hundreds of people come through? Yeah. Like come through, you know, I, I have seen it. It's been pretty incredible to see like, you know, one person that really stands out to me a lot is Crystal who mm. teaches on staff because Crystal, Crystal came, yeah, Crystal came into the studio with a very like personal like story. And she had a very deep, um, just deep struggle that she went through. 
And when she came into the studio, she was really just like one way. And then now she is in front of the room, like teaching yoga classes and she's out in the community sharing yoga and helping other people. So it's been pretty incredible, you know, even Brittany, you know, like even, even Brittany, like just kind of thinking about her. Like I remember when she first started practicing, she was very regimented and everything had to be a certain way. I love you, Britt, but I know like, you know, (laughs) but, and now like I see her and she is just completely like have blossomed into this like confident, like soft, warm, like it's changed her being for sure. Yeah. Like she, and, and she's an incredible yoga teacher too. You know, I mean, even like I could go down the staff, like Jane, like when she came in here, like, I, I mean, I can go through all of them, like, you know, came in very like quiet. And now that she's just like out here, you know, and it's been pretty incredible. I think about Christina Imperial too. She's no, she's no longer here because she is in Seattle because she like woke up and decided to pack her car up and travel across the country and mm. like connect with new communities and be with other people. So it's been really cool to see how people do wake up and, and like really follow their truth with that. Do you, do you think one of the biggest parts of it, I mean, I know that the practice itself, the, the asana practice, the physical practice is extremely important. Um, but do you think one of the more important parts is the community aspect too, and people being involved in the community? Because that's something I think about all the time, especially being involved in a jujitsu community and, yeah. and at the jujitsu gym. One of my favorite, I love practicing and training jujitsu, but one of my favorite things I catch myself um, looking forward to is just, I guess, connecting with the guys before we even train and connecting with the guys after we train. Um, and just being a part of, I guess, uh, a community with like-minded individuals or people that have similar goals or values. I don't, I'm still trying to figure out what it is, but I'm curious to see what your opinion is on the importance of community and um, what role you've seen it play in people's lives and personal lives. And even just in uh, maybe like, I don't know, the neighborhood or anywhere. Yeah. You know, you know, what's interesting, like uh, community has always been a very big part of uh, Baptiste yoga. Like that was something that Baron, like when, that then that's where I really learned about like community the most. Like I was I was in community, of course, like at my girlfriend Heidi's dance studio and there was community there. But where I really learned about the power and the transformational aspect of community was definitely through my Baptiste Yoga experience mm. and my training with them, because there would be like 120 individuals from all over the world together in a room doing really deep transformational work. And it created there was a room that was created by support. Right. And it was a room of like love. And it was a room where you know, um, and that really starts from the head, like from the facilitation and kind of comes down. So I would say community really starts from the person on top. And, and, and I feel that when I'm at B, uh, yeah. uh, the, the way that you carry yourself is, is how that community feels too. Um, and, and, um, I think that's why people love B so much and, and want to just be a part of anything that you're doing. Cause I think people feel that even if they're not aware of it, I feel like that's something that's palpable. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think what happens with people, and this is kind of what happened for me, I didn't realize how much I liked community or needed community until I experienced community, you know, and I don't think people like, I I feel like I don't like, I don't, I never really like to make like assumptions or judgments about anything. So I always like to put it seems in front of it because I don't really know, but it seems that a lot of people um, don't really know what it is to kind of be and something in the mindfulness community, it's called like deep community to really mm-hmm. be in the presence of that. And that's why it's important, I think, for us to cultivate spaces where deep community is practiced, because it's a practice, you know, as like anything else. It is, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, and it's, it's a practice to be a person of community, like, even for myself, sometimes, like, I know for myself, like, even there's moments when I'm feeling overwhelmed, 
and I don't really want to be around people. And that comes up for me, especially with all my responsibilities and my kids and everything that, and then I have to like, I have to figure out ways. Okay. Well, Larissa, what really is it? Like, do you really not want to be around people? Like what's the thing that's creating the illusion of separation for you? Mm. Because your community like loves you. And I have to kind of like move through that sometimes, but sometimes like that feeling does come over me. Like for me to say like that, no, I never feel like that. (laughs) I would be completely lying to you, you know? Right. Of course. So like, I have to kind of like, you know, and a lot of times it has to do with, you know, just me myself getting hooked on like a thought about something and then creating an illusion and separating myself. But I think the experience of community, like kind of coming back, like a lot of people don't realize how much they thrive in it. And really as human beings, it's we're communal beings. Like we're supposed to be. That's something I'm feeling now and have been experiencing over the last couple years, maybe even more than that, where. Uh, I think at the beginning of the pandemic is when I started to, you know, feel an urge just to start connecting with people more, start to uh, socialize with people more. I'm sure everyone did, but now I'm starting to realize, wow, I I was just looking for community that that's really all it was. Yeah. Um, And that's why getting back in person, going to yoga and seeing everyone's smiling faces, being welcomed and greeted. um, I, I think it's more important than what a lot of people give credit to. And I think that just from my own experience too. It's, and it's interesting because like, you know, how I was saying before, how I feel like a lot of times it's the, it's the crisis that creates the, it's like the crisis that creates the miracle in a way, because like, um, you know, my need, and I I was sharing this in the 40 day program that I'm, that I'm doing right now, because I've always, I've, I've never really felt like I belonged anywhere. I've always felt like an outsider. That was something that I've always like struggled with as a kid, because I had a couple of like situations happen where you know, people were my friends when I was a kid that I was really close with. And then all of a sudden they stopped like asking me to hang out. And then like, I was, I, I felt like an outsider, like, Oh, I don't fit in. There's something wrong with me. Right. I'm awkward. Why is it that they don't want to hang out with me, but they still want to hang out with each other. And then like, I was always kind of this person who was on the outside and that kind of, that, that thought, that storyline really followed me a lot through my life. And I think it even kind of created my experience of like high school and how I was and Maybe what I got into feel isolated over time. Totally. Yeah. And I, and, and I never, it's so weird because like that feeling that I had, that I had to live with, I never wanted other people to feel that way. Mm. You understand? So something that my mom would call me all the time when I was a kid is that, I don't know. You ever see the, I love Lucy episode where she's the friend of the friendless. So, Maybe, probably, if I saw And she had the drum, and she's, like, drumming it. Like, yes. It's like, my mom was, you know, Larissa, you're the friend to the friendless. I was like, well, I'm I'm the friendless. I was like, <laughs> I'm a friend to the friend like me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and so that feeling of, like, I always, like, I would stick up for the kids who got, like, made fun of, and then I would get made fun of, and it was just, like, kind of that whole thing. And I remember, like, just always wanting to create a space where everybody is welcome, no matter what, like no matter what your storyline is or where you've been from, like whatever you've experienced. And that has been really like my tragedy, like my, like, you know, my, my trauma has really right. been like the foundation of what, what. And now, this. and now you now you facilitate that. And now I facilitate that. And that's like the really big, the biggest thing that I'm a stand for, like, even in like teacher training, like when we talk about like the most important thing, like a lot of times you'll go to trainings and they're, they're so focused on, of course, like, you know, knowing the traditional teachings and understanding them. But no, the most important thing is that you could teach a pose to anybody, mm. like anybody, anybody, physical body that walks into the room, you can teach them a yoga pose because that's what's going to make them feel like they're a part of something. Right. You knowing the yoga sutras from the beginning to the end, 
is not going to make them feel like they belong. Right. It's important to know the yoga sutras because of lineage. And that's why we study them over time and we get to know that. But the most important thing is that like anybody, any, any, anything that they have, like any condition that they're working with, you're going to be able to serve them in a way that when they leave the space, they're going to be like, wow, I was seen, I was acknowledged, I was appreciated. And that's what's important because if we could give that to people, that one interaction can transform their whole entire way that they view themselves and they view the world. I was going to say one of the most um, impactful things that I've learned from the teacher training so far, and it's something that I've always thought myself, but I think the way that you said it or the way that you quoted, I think it was maybe um, Pema Trojan, um, life is all about relating or being in relation with. And that, that's and, really what it's, yeah. that's really what it's all about. Um, and that's what I think community provides. And that's what I think people today, especially are in need of the most. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's that, and that, that's from um, like when Cindy Lee says that. Oh, was like, it Cindy the, Lee? Yes. Okay. Yeah. But they're, you know, Cindy, she, she studies Pema too. So they're all okay. like connected. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, like Cindy says, like yoga is about how it is about relationships and relationships are about union, right? Which is yoga. And how is one thing relating to the other? So the same way that we look at a yoga pose, like if we look at like, okay, well, warrior one, how do the feet relate to the pelvis and how does the pelvis relate to the shoulders? And the same way, like, how do I, Larissa, relate to Michael? Mm-hmm. And how do we create that connection where we feel stable and solid? Like, you know, it's like, it's really seeing that how every, everything is really connected, like everything. all things and like how we, as teachers of yoga, how we look at the pose and how we're able to, how we're able to speak it into someone's body and letting them understand it and then finding their way through it. That creates a connection, not only through the pose, but now between, between two human beings, you know right. what I mean? And it's That's like, huge. And, and you think huge. about the impact of that over time and, and that right? compounding over time, that, that is life-changing. That's massive. And it is massive. And then like you have like, so like, even look at you, like you started practicing with me like 10 years ago and then you've established your practice and you've gotten so much from it. And now you're doing teacher training and now you're going to go out and then you're going to be the teacher, right? Even though we're always old teachers for everybody all the time, but now you're going to share asana and meditation with others. And then you're going to create that impact. And then that's going to ripple out. So that's why I do teacher training so much because I like, I really do believe that, you know, when people say, Oh, like, you know, what, what all the stuff that's going on in the world today, like, you know, mental health and everything like systematic racism, just everything that's present, like everything. I really do believe that yoga has the ability to transform the world. It starts with with one person, each person, you know? Um, And, and I think even uh, especially because I feel that so many people are not in touch with their bodies. And one of the other things that I've been learning the most from this yoga teacher training is that um, through the body, you can then start to get more in touch with your mind and your soul. And that's something that I always experienced in yoga, I guess over the last 10 years, but I wasn't aware that I was even experiencing it. I think I just benefited from the results of um, just, I guess, practicing yoga over time. But yeah, getting in touch with your body or at least opening up your body or priming your body so that your mind can um, or that you can get your mind out of the way is something that I don't think people appreciate as much as we could too. And yoga would be the perfect vehicle for that. You know, and it's interesting because, um, you know, if, if we were to look at the if we look at the eightfold path that's taught traditionally from, you know, the yoga sutra is like. It, you have the eightfold path, you have the yamas and the niyamas, and then you have asana as like the third limb. So the first two 
are more about ethical principles and ethical principles really come from, you know, the mind and how we think about things. So how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to the world. And this is where Baron, I feel like really, um, this is where Baron like revolutionized his way of making his own methodology up because how he looks at it is he believes like in asana meditation and inquiry work start with the body. And that's the reason why you got, you got that because you've been practicing this style of yoga for a long time. He believes that getting people present to their physicality and getting them to really work their bodies is a way to break through to the mind. And I think that's a a real, I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. And when you look at a lot of like, if you look a lot in like the mental health, um, just like what's happening with more somatic practices and, you know, not, not so much, there's, obviously there's a lot of talk therapy still happening, but you see a lot of people moving towards like movement therapy. You know what I mean? There's lots of somatic stuff, a big shift in that because they're finding, you know, that a lot of trauma is like in the body. And when we think about yoga, it's all about unlocking, right? The chakras and the subtle body, cleansing out the subtle body, twisting, rinsing, moving in all these different directions of the spine, because it's releasing all of that out of the body. And that's and then how you even, even as your body opens up into new places, I notice in my mind, my mind starts to automatically open up to new places oddly in that, and that moment. And it's, it's so crazy. Cause like, it, so a lot of times people, you know how sometimes a lot of people like think they have to figure themselves out. Like I got to figure out like what we were saying before, how to get out of this. Like what, what Baron like believes is like, no, like just move just move your body. Cause like naturally exactly what you're saying, because you're taking into different perspectives, right? Like, okay, so here I am an extended side angle and now my perspective is up and now I'm coming down. We're training the body to look in different perspectives over and over again. And that has to uh, somehow like get through there. You know, one of, one of the first aha physical aha moments that I had in yoga was when I guess it was when I was going more consistently. It was maybe like five years ago. It might've been when you first started opening up the studio and I was going, you know, three to four times a week, um, maybe for, you know, say it was like three months or so. And I got to a point where I was doing a forward fold and then we went up into an extended mountain pose and I, and I felt my feet gripping the mat like fingers or like hands. Yeah. And that was the first time ever in my life that my feet felt like hands and that I truly felt rooted into the ground. So just from the years of hearing that language and hearing um, the cue root down uh, into the ground or into the earth, um, uh, you know, stuff, stuff like that, that, that made that connection real in that moment. Yeah. And from there, I started to think, you know, where else can I feel that? Or, you know, what other mm. poses can I start to feel that? What, where can I go upside down? And then that curiosity started to um, spur even more growth. Yeah. Just that, that one little, my feet feeling like they grip the mat. It's amazing how that just one, like that one action, how that created such as like, it woke you up to a whole new way of looking. Because before that, I, I then thought, you know, what did I feel like for my entire life before that? What did my body feel like underneath or above my feet before that? You know, mm. I guess I never was grounded or as grounded in my body as I could have been. Yeah. And, it, and that was maybe, you know, for 25 years. So that's incredible. Kind of eye opening. Yeah. To, to, and like, those are the best, those are the most incredible experiences. You know, it's like when you, when you have those little aha moments in your practice and you, and you know what it is, you're, it's, a, it's an embodied experience, which is means that's, you'll yeah, remember that's it. Right. You'll, you, you remember it. Like, and that's really what, that's the difference. Like a lot of times, like, this is like a lot of things that we talk about too, when I do like my 40 day programs, like we practice like active listening, like listening for no answer, just holding space for people. 
Because a lot of times um, there's a feeling of wanting to fix things, tell people what they need to do. This is what you should do. Or, you know, well, I think, you know, I'm giving your opinion about things, but it's more of a practice. Like, how do you just let people speak? And then you just sit and you listen. And so that was something that, you know, I, I really took away from my Baptiste training because Baron would always like have us, like we had to listen and he, oh, he never, he never would tell us the answer. And so we would get like coach, like sometimes like you'd be coached for such a long time and he would just keep going because he, you had to like have an embodied experience because it's through you having that aha moment. That's how your body remembers. It's because it's all connected. So if I were like to tell you, Michael, like, oh, Michael, this is what you need to do in order to make your life like here. You know what I mean? Like if I, I told like, this is what you have to do. You'd be like, okay, it's not going to be real for you because it's not touching your soul. Like it's mm. not a soul connection, but when you have somebody just giving you space, like and holding space for you, and then they're asking you questions and then like, and all of a sudden it's like the, you see it go off in people's faces. You, do. Like the, you know what I'm talking about? Like, and then all, but they, they stand up a little taller, like, like Tadasana, like just comes up. Like there's Tadasana, there's Drishti, there's focus. Like all of the aspects of the practice are right there and they figured it out on their own. They'll remember that. And now from that space, like that's a whole new embodied experience. Now, what do you create? What's the next step then? Now, what do you do with that? So like the, and that's something my teach my teacher Paige Ellison would say all the time. You have the aha moment, which is great, right? Yes, you get, you wake up, but it takes commitment and discipline in order to make the transformation happen. And I mm. think that's what people forget because she, my, my, my teacher, uh, Paige Ellison, she's the, one of the founders for Africa Yoga Project, which is that okay. huge organization in Africa where they train so many Kenyan youths to become yoga teachers. And um, I'll never forget when she said that because so many people will have aha moments, right? And like, but then like, they don't know capitalize on them they don't and the reason why that is is because they're lacking the discipline and the focus to take it and that's where the yoga practice comes Mm. in that's where the discipline and the focus of practice like commitment to practice comes in to make that into something a whole new transformation so the aha moment yes gives space for people to have it but then it's like what what do you do with it now what's the next steps and how do you kind of apply that because i've had plenty of aha moments in my life and then they kind of just went to shit (laughs) <laughs> because I didn't, you know what I mean? Because I didn't like do anything with it. But um, at the same time, and then I think about that sometimes, but in that moment of my life, I was like, I was, I was lacking discipline. I was lacking focus. I was lacking like um, belief in something. And, you know, now when I think about it, like it, I wonder if my mind would have been a little bit different, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I have to also just trust my path and be like, okay, well, that maybe wasn't for me at that moment. You know what I mean? Right. And it's like, so there's like always that, like it could have been, but maybe it's not, you know what I mean? There's always And, and you have dance. to find contentment with that. And exactly. You know, so it's always like right there all the time, you know? Right. It's interesting. Um, th- that is interesting. That there's, there's so much to it that I wish I could even articulate and share with people. But like you're saying, it has to be embodied and it has to be experienced um, for themselves too. And that's why as a teacher, and that's why like I, I you know, as a yoga teacher, as, as someone who is teaching movement, it's so important. And this is why I stress this in training with you and with everybody. It's so important that your words are clear and concise. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Why, the why now? Because when you're, when you're able to speak action into people's bodies, you're creating the embodied experience for them to happen, which will allow them to discover something new. If your words are vague and unclear, 
what happens is confusion, which is where most people are living. Most mm. people are living in a daze and confusion. And that's just because of the way our society is. And how we drift. live. The drift is just going along. So if you could be a, if you could be a stand, right. If you could be a, you know, a teacher of, of clarity, of embodiment, of like speaking action into people's bodies, your voice has the ability to create that embodied experience for someone where they have the ability to wake up and create something new for themselves because they feel it. Mm. And that's really, that's really like, as I think about it, I never articulated Baptiste yoga in that way, but if I had to kind of like that's, put that's a nail it. on it, that's kind of really what Baron, a big part of it, I feel what like Baron is, is, is creating for people because like when you take classes with him, like he moves you in a way that you've never been like, like you want to move. And it, it's all through like his belief in the practice and using articulating in a way that it's powerful. It's, it's, it's potent, it's clear. And you're like, okay. And you get it. Like you hear it and your body just gets it. And that's why when you're teaching, that's how you want to be. So a lot of times there's such a, you know, there, there's so many different um, ways of looking at yoga. There's so many beautiful styles and I love all of it. But there's something really clear in the simplicity and really speaking the actions into the body so people can really feel that and embody that and, and, and create something new from it, possibly, you know? And I feel like that's very applicable for today, especially, um, Absolutely. especially in today's climate and for, day, for today's population of people. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, even from the people that I've taught and that I've, uh, that I've practiced with, I, I've gotten the same response. Um, anytime I've uh, had that tone that you're talking about and, you know, really come from a place of being efficient with my words, speaking action body part, where I start to see the people come alive too, in, in the flow and in the practice and, and even me seeing them, um, experience that and then wonder what they're going to then do with that or how that might've empowered them, uh, in some way, shape or form is one of the coolest things that I've experienced so far in my small, um, stint yeah. of yoga teaching too. And sometimes like you don't even realize it could be like the smallest thing that, you know, that touches somebody and sometimes mm -hmm. nothing does. And that's right. okay too. You and know that's what I mean? totally because fine. That's totally okay too. Cause like sometimes like people just want to come in and move and leave. And I think as a teacher, like what you, what could happen is like, you get hooked on this feeling like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta inspire. Which, right. You yeah. can't, you can't get hooked no. on that either. All you can do is like share like from your heart to their heart and then bring in the practice and bring in the, you know, the clarity and the strength in your words. And then you just use, you share it and then it leaves and it may touch someone. It may not. And that's totally okay. You know what right. I mean? Right. Yeah. Uh, um, even me um, having been a teacher, one of the things that I, I love most about you, even in, in how you facilitate and how you hold space for people is that you inspire people to get curious. Um, even when we're not in class, you'll ask thought provoking questions or good inquiry questions. Um, and if I think about the thing that I love most about teaching, especially high school age students, it's just inspiring some kind of curiosity in some way, shape, yeah. or form. I, I don't care if you don't remember anything that I said, but if I just made you think about something or just get curious about something, um, I, I know that I did my job to at least start you on your own process. And I feel like that's really what yoga has done for me. And I think it's done that for a lot of people. I've experienced that in, in martial arts too, but yoga is, is a little different. It's physical in, um, in its own way, but yoga, I've definitely gotten to have a little bit more of those aha moments on the mat. And yeah. then, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I don't want to say it's been 
like a religion because I've heard people label it that. But something that has made me think about it a lot was when I heard your husband, Mike, mention just in talks in the lobby once he mentioned, oh, you know, like yoga is a science. And I heard him say that. And that was the first time I ever heard him, someone say that. Yeah. And then the second time I heard that was maybe from you in yoga teacher training. And then that opened my eyes even more to say, you know what? No, it's not a religion. It's not like a, a discipline like martial arts. It really is like a science of life. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that it's five to 10,000 years old is mind blowing. So how Incredible. would you, how would you describe it as a science in your, in your own words? You know, I, I think it's considered, I, I would say it's considered a science because it's also something that's always changing. Mm. Right. And it's also something that's not necessarily collect. It, it's connected to a belief system of principles, but there's also many different beliefs around it, which is like a religion. I think the reason why many people consider it to like they'll cross it as a religion is because it does come from India and Hinduism. Right. And obviously, but if we think about 5,000 years ago and any anywhere in the world, Was religion religious. had a... Uh, yeah, there was a huge religious like connection to anything that happened and that got created. So there is a very big like cross cultural between like when you think of the yoga poses and you see like Hanuman and Ganat like and, and there's like lots of poses with names that do come from Hindu deities. You know what I mean? Right. But it's considered a science because BKS Iyengar is the one who I think it was said many many years before that too. But he's the one who would always consider it, like say it as a science because it's something that's evolving and ever changing and mm. it's something that is for all people. And if it was a religion, it would be something that was more like in, you had to enroll and have like a belief and all, it, it kind of creates, I think also too, it also maybe, and this is me just talking off the cusp. Maybe right. like if we look up, we could really find some clear like insight about it. But I think also too, what happens is that when something becomes a religion, it could cause separation. And I think sci if when we say it's a science, it means that, yeah, you could be Hindu and you could also practice yoga. Right. You could be Catholic and you can practice yoga. You can, and that's the same thing with Buddhism. Buddhism is seen as a religion, but it's also seen as a science. It's very interesting, but it's also seen as, because like, as, as I deepen my understanding with like Buddhism, it is seen as a religion for many, but it's also considered like you could be Catholic and be a Buddhist too. I, that's something I'm, I'm just learning recently you can. too. So like I you didn't can, know that. And it's more like teachings because the Buddha was a teacher. You know, he mm. wasn't a God and he didn't want to be considered a God. And he like, he never wanted to be put on a pedestal either. We honor the Buddha, right? Because of his ultimate teacher, but the Buddha never considered himself to be higher than anyone else. He was just someone who woke up, you know, mm. to the teachings. And that's why, like a lot of times the way that I like to think about Buddhism is I like to think of it as, teacher like and we're students you know the dharma the dharma is the teachings you right. know um so it's interesting I, I think by considering it to be a, uh, a science it makes it accessible to all people with all belief systems i think if they would have taken yoga and brought it over the over to the western world saying it was a religion it probably would have been casted out especially it, like back it, it started to it came over to the u.s like in the late late 1800s early 1900s wow, i didn't know that yeah, it, it would. And there was such a deep connection of like patriarchy and Christianity. Like, I don't I could, know. I could not. Yeah, I could imagine it not being accepted back then. Yeah. You know, when you think about that, you know, and so it, it's interesting to kind of to kind of consider that. that and that's, it's nice. That's because, cool. And, you know, it's really interesting too. like something that Cindy, my teacher, Cindy Lee. Um, I, you know, a lot. There's a lot of talk in the yoga industry, in the yoga world about maintaining the lineage of yoga, which is very important, right? It's very important that we as teachers and the students understand 
where it came from, what it does, understanding the history of it and why it's here. Like we have to know that because like to not know that is just not honoring the practice, right? right. But something that Cindy says, and I think it's really important because a lot, there, there's very interesting because a lot of people think like, well, if you don't know this about yoga, you shouldn't be teaching it. Or if you don't, if you know, it's only, you know, like there's very like, um, as Baron would say, the need to be right or the need to know, you know, which right. automatically like discounts you from hearing anything else, you know, like when you're, when you're right, you don't hear anything else, but what you want to hear, right. you know, how is that yoga? That's not union, right? Like when you think about it, but something that Cindy would say all the time is that the reason why yoga is here still and it's flourishing is because it changes. And what does Buddhism teach us? Impermanence. Mm. Impermanence that all things change. If yoga never changed at all, and this is something that Cindy would say, she's like, would it still be here? Like, would it still be That's such a big question. part of our lives? It's a very good question, you know? And it's interesting. But what we have to do as practitioners and teachers is that to continue speaking of the teachers and where it came from and the history to keep that connection to it, but honor, honor where it came from, honor where it is, and also honor where it's going mm. all at the same time, always, you know, and that's really like the three jewels of the, of Buddhism, you know, thinking about that, like the Sangha, right. The, the Dharma, like all of that, like just constantly like remembering where it came from and what it is. And it, I think that's really true because even just like my, you know, like in the Baptist community with, you know, with the whole uproar and like cancel culture that's happened, you know, over, you know, the last like couple of years, right. a lot has come out in the yoga community about cultural appropriation around yoga. Right. And Baptist yoga has definitely been like attacked by it. And at the same time, if you really look at Baptist yoga and you really like, look at it, he, Baron did, he did strip away a lot of the language to make it more so that people of the Western world would take to it right. and gave it this sort of athletic spin to it. Right. And it did, it, it took off. Right. But at the same time, I can see where, you know, that's not okay at some point, but at the same time, if you really look at the teachings of what he's teaching, there is a very deep it's, thread it's aligned. of classical yoga that's in there, but he's just not using the words, but would you, would as many people be practicing yoga if that didn't happen? And then is it bad that that happened? Like, these are like, interesting I, 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 think questions. About, so I, I think about that with, with everything that I'll try to communicate to someone, you know, in order to, to reach the most people, you probably have to make it the most digestible. So he was probably thinking, you know, I have to make this extremely deep practice as digestible for a population of people that might not be open-minded to everything that there is to know about it from the very beginning before they just maybe get into the asana of it all. Exactly. So and it's, and it's interesting to think about it. Like, and is that right? Is that wrong? Like, I don't know, but you know, one thing like, you know, I do believe that like, that's one thing that I love about my, like being um, one of Cindy Lee's students is she's continuously, continuously honoring the lineage. And that's something that I always, cause I love to know where, where did this come from? Right. Like, you know, how did, like, how did it come about? Like, where did it come from? Why is it here? And, you know, it's, and I think that's a very important thing to do, but it's so interesting, like kind of looking at the yoga culture in the United States of America and just kind of seeing like how it is and what's getting created. And, you know, like what we're just saying right now, like if some other people heard this, they'd be like, oh my God, they shouldn't be saying that. Like, right. you know what I mean? Cause, but it's like, yeah, but you have to have these sort of conversations because that's what makes you like, like you said, like brings in the idea of curiosity. I'm like wondering, like, you know, if all of us are curious rather than like so fixated on what's right and what's wrong, maybe then 
right? We can have a better understanding around things. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so, so in speaking about that, where do you see yoga going in the future? Do you see yoga becoming something that everyone in every household has in their daily practice? Do you think, um, like, you know, is that something that you'll see in most schools? Do you, do you see it going down that path? You know, I, I actually, I, I do. I, I feel like in some shape or form, I, I think it, it, it is going to go down that path. Like, especially like I started teaching in the schools in 2013. Oh, like, wow. Just, I, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I, I used to go, like, I was like, I, I would go and teach like kids yoga in different schools and things like that. It wasn't until I started doing like professional developments and stuff till like 2018. And then it started to pick up more. But so when I first started, this is just from my experience, when I first started doing yoga in schools, there was very few kids who knew about it. You know what I mean? Right. And they had, they like, a lot of them had no idea. It was like a handful. Like when, when I was, when I was that age, I probably, I think I just thought, you know, yoga was the thing that one of my friend's moms did. And that was yeah all it was. And so now when I go into the school, I always start my, I always start my classes off. I'm like, so how many of you, how many of you have heard of yoga? Like probably three, uh, a quarter, no, maybe half of the class raised wow. their hands and have practiced it before. And, wow. and if they haven't practiced it, their parents practice it. And they also are, they know meditation. So I would wow. say like from Aiden's grade. So Aiden's what? Aiden's 16. He's like a junior. I'd seen like an uptick, I guess a little bit from like him, but especially like Lyle. Lyle is in first grade. It's like a part of the culture of many schools now, which is pretty cool. I you love know? That. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Yeah. Like the, one of the kids was so, oh, one of the teachers that, cause I'm at, I'm at PS 26 doing like an after school program two days a week. And one of the kids, um, no, one of the teachers came up to me. She's like, Larissa, I just have to tell you. She's like, I was having a rough day. And, um, you know, one of the students came up to me and said, miss so-and-so you just need to pause and take a deep <laughs> That's great. That's the right? best. It's and she was like, it was the best thing ever. Like she told, like, you know, the students totally told her to pause and take a deep breath and like, you know, and it's, it's amazing because the kids, the kids, they love it. Like even the kids that I was working with at Curtis high school, you know, I just certified four kids from there. I, I, before, like before the pandemic, I certified 15 kids. I know this specific group that I'm working with, like they, like one of the girls, she's going to Vassar college and she's, she's already applying at yoga studios nice. or for like a job while she's out there and, nice. and they're like incredible. And honestly, teaching students, teens is much, at least my experience was much, um, much easier than teaching adults. What, why do you think? Do you think it's their because brain, they're in that student mode? They're in student mode. I think Michael, you, I think cause you're a teacher and you got it right on the mode. Like they don't get embarrassed. Right. They don't take things personal. Like you could, they're in front of the room and you just give them coaching. They're like, all right. And they just do it. <laughs> You know what I mean? You, and their, their, their memory is really incredible. Like you tell them one thing, they remember it. Like next time they just apply it. Like I was, I was really like blown away at how malleable their brains are and they're smart. Like they're really smart. smart. Very smart. People underestimate how, how smart and aware kids are today. Whoa. Like they would like blow me away. Like, and like some of the things, the conversations that I would have with them and the questions that they would ask me and, you know, and, and a lot of like about agency and, and, and anti-racism. I didn't I'm even like, know what agency was then. Yeah. You know, it was just like incredible. Like how they, you know, and one of them was like, they didn't, they didn't feel like doing something. And they're like, where is I? Is it okay? You know, I'm going to choose to just like sit out and, and not do this. Cause I feel like I need a moment. I said, absolutely. Like there's such a level of personal responsibility and self-awareness 
that these kids had. And I was just like blown away by it. And Lila's even like that. My daughter in first grade, she goes, she'll be like, mommy, right now in this moment, I, I don't really feel like doing that. I said, but I'll tell you when I'm ready. I wish I would have been I would like never that. be able to articulate that or even be Me aware of either. that. Either. That's that, that, that gives me a ton of hope. I know it does. I really like, that's why when people talk about like our youth, like our youth are doing good. They're doing well. They're doing great. They're doing well. It's us. Right. It (laughs) is. No, it is. It's, it's adults. It's adults. And I think if we keep working on ourselves, you know, and then we just keep like being the leaders for them. Like, that's why, you know, one thing as a parent, like I've always done is I, I've never masked my mistakes to my kids. If I mess up, I take full accountability and I let my children know that I mess up all the time. And and I apologize about things and I let them know it's like part of growing because I never want them to ever, I always had a fear of like failing. And that's kind of why I think I never pursued dancing. You know what right. I mean? Because I was so afraid of rejection. You know, I was so afraid of the no, because I had like a little, I had like low self-esteem from always feeling like an outsider. And I never really felt like a part of something. And then what am I going to throw myself into situations where I keep getting rejected, 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 right. rejected. Like I'm not doing that. I'm just going to kind that's of protect myself. Yeah. Right. So it's interesting because like, as an adult, like I see that that thing is kind of what stopped me from really pursuing like my dream and what I really wanted to do. And so I continuously like all the things that I realized as an like growing up that, you know, I wish I would have done differently. I share that with my kids, like, you know what I mean? So they that's, to that's give them that insight, about. you know what I mean? Like, and so even with Aiden, like I always have conversations with him about things and he's super smart. Like, I mean, he blows me away all the time. Like he actually wants to go to school to major in philosophy. Love it. You know, because he's like, Mom, where? You know what he asks? He goes, Where did thought get created? Great question. It's a great question. <laughs> I was going to say, That's a great question. It's a great question. I was like, That's a great question. He's we like, could probably yeah. sit and think about that one for three, four hours so long. Right? Like, and he's just very deep and he's very into And like, even when I, you know, it's funny because like Aiden was like someone who, as a kid, because he, you know, he has his like, he has like his things, his issues, like in school and certain in, in organized settings and things like that. And um, he's always had teachers who kind of, he was like pushed aside. I always told you about that, Mike, like, you know, yeah. he's never, and he, I always knew he was brilliant. You know, I always knew he was smart because of the things that he would come out, like, you know, even just the way that he, like him and Lila have been, I, I believe like Legos are like everything, like the way that he just would put together at four years old, would look at the pamphlet and put all the Legos together, the huge things. I'm like, yeah. I, I can't do that. I can't do that, Michael. If I open up a thing and look at a Lego thing, I'm like, I can't do it. Lila will say when she was little, she would give it to me. I'm like, I can't do this. And she's like, I'll figure it out. And she figured it out because she's like, Mike, because my husband's right. like really good with stuff like that. But Aiden's like, they're just smart. But like, and you know, seeing him at, at like 16 now and like the school that he goes to is very progressive and it's in the city and they're very, they think outside of the box, it's a very relaxed setting. Like there's only 55 kids in his senior class and they're just all about like, questioning things and and I see how he's in an environment that like is like like bringing that part of him out like right. I'm just I'm so it's, it's such a beautiful thing to witness as a parent because all his life like he's kind of been targeted as like oh you know he doesn't listen he doesn't like he doesn't know what he's doing or blah 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 but it's that's it's just I've always known that's not true you know meanwhile, he's always he, been in yeah. like, meanwhile it was it was them you know projecting that on him and not seeing totally. him for for him And it's interesting because like kind of rolling back to like what we were talking about with community, like when you go to his school in the city, it's a total community from when you walk into the door, the security guards are so nice. Right. And they welcome you that they're like, because I go there usually every week to go see them. And they're like, 
hi, Miss Gonzalez, it's great to see you. And I work with like a group of kids doing mindfulness there with them. And then Mr. Fram's walking around, checking in on the kids. Like he stands at the front of the door, welcomes all the kids in the school, knows every single kid's name. It just makes you don't, you don't realize how important that is. And, yeah. and just the, the kind of mind state that it puts you in when you're either teaching or when you're the student learning, um, the kind of place that it puts you in and the difference in experience that you have and how effective, um, you know, maybe your teaching is or how impactful maybe your, your learning is in that moment. It changes everything. It really does. It does change everything. So it's like, and it, it really does come back to like the environment and the community that's getting created, which, which is what's going to create the, which fosters like curiosity and questioning and growth and all of that, you know? So it, it's like, and then it, it, it's kind of turns on to, well, what's the work that the person that that's in charge is doing and the people who are facilitating mm. the community, what kind of work are they up to that they're then creating that environment for the kids to kind of grow, you know? Right. I mean, yeah. this, this, I mean, anytime I think about this stuff, it makes me really hopeful because, um, like you said, I do hear the criticism of the youth, but being a, a high school teacher and having worked with younger kids, I never got that. I never got that feeling either. Um, you'll, you'll definitely see different challenges that kids deal with today, but I, I think yeah. for the most part, they're going to be better off than what most people think. And then when you realize that, it just makes you especially want to continue to do what you're doing. And you know, someone like myself, who's going to be teaching yoga, want to do even more of that. And someone yeah. who will eventually be a parent, want to do even more of that. So I think that's how we really continue to put those positive ripples out there and um, impact the world in, in the ways that we can. Yeah, it starts, it does. It starts with the babies. Like it starts with the little ones. You know, it's, I've been, I, I, I trained Lila's uh, her, at her school, she go, the school that she goes to, they reached out to me in the beginning of the year because they wanted to do like a full-fledged SEL program for the kids because of like after the pandemic and returning back to school. And um, they, one of their PE teachers was willing to get trained in yoga. So for the past, since September, I just ended last session. Um, every Wednesday at 12 o'clock, I would meet with her one-on-one -on -one in the nice. studio for an hour and 15 minutes. And I certified her as a, like, as a yoga teacher. Nice. And um, we we created, so at Lila's school, the whole entire school does yoga twice a week. Wow. For the whole entire year. Wow. That, that's huge. That's it's great. huge. It was like a huge thing that, you know, that I did. And it was like really incredible. And then that, think about everyone in that school now. Right. Two days a week doing yoga. And then all the lives that they go home to, to impact. And then everyone that they're interacting with, that they're then just sharing maybe uh, a little bit more of themselves in the moment or, you know just being a little bit more patient, being a little bit more understanding, a being little, a little bit more absolutely. aware. That's huge. That, that's massive. It's, and you know, it's like, you know, I, you know, I, I you know, my, I go for Reiki from my friend, uh, Jackie, she owns like circle of light in Staten Island. It's a really great uh, place. If you're looking for Reiki and, and she does all different like type of therapies and things like that. And one of the things that came up in my Reiki session that she said to me, she's like, you know, Larissa, I got this like really deep sense. Like you don't take a moment to like, acknowledge yourself. Cause I don't like, I, I, she's like, you don't realize how many like lives you impacted. I'm like, I don't think about that. I was like, I don't, because like, I, I always like to be humble. Like, you know what? I, I, I don't really, I just keep like doing, you know what I mean? I don't really take a right. moment to stop and think about it. Cause I get scared. I'm going to be honest with you. Like I get scared because sometimes what comes up for me is I seek for approval. You know what mm. I mean? And like, that's the something you mean that's from, some, from like other people, from other people, like, you know, I, that, that's something I'm always like, that comes up for me and I have to like be with that. And I got to disrupt it. And I have to like, I'm always like looking for approval. Like, and, and that, that has a lot to do with the stuff that I was sharing with you before. Right. And I always get afraid that like, if I take a moment 
and I acknowledge myself like, wow, Larissa, look what you created. Like that could go wrong. You know what I mean? Like it's, I know that sounds crazy and I'm like creating it in my mind. No, but, but it's, it's true. We're, we're forever working. Um, you know, and I'm always thinking about that, but like, you know, she said that to me and she's like, where is she just, she's like, just take a moment and like, look at what you created. And like, and I think, I think it's where I really can feel it is like what you said with the kids at 65. Like I, I, I think of the kids there because Lila goes to school there and like, I, you know, and you know, I, one day I went to go pick her up from school and one of the teachers came up to me and she's like, you're B yoga. I'm like, yeah, she's like, you're Larissa, you're Lila's mom. I was like, yeah. she's like, you're teaching um, so-and-so. I'm like, yeah. She's like, I just want you to know that she's incredible. And the kids, like, we just like, we'll just do a moment where we just take our fingers and we go like this and like, and then the kids get quiet. Love it. Right. And it's like, yeah, like they know, okay, time to down regulate. Like, you know, it's just, it's pretty cool. So, you know, I, that's why I really like doing the work in the schools. Cause that's where I really feel it can make a huge difference mm. because like, kids are forced to be in those environments for six hours a day, you know, as much as like, it's great. Like I offer a kids yoga class here. It's, it's after studio. It's good. It's fun. But I feel like the real work, if we can get like teachers certified yes. as yoga teachers and have them wake up to like the possibility, like of their own stuff that they learn how to like manage their emotions and, and wake up to how they want to be. And if they get presence with themselves and what's possible, then just through their own practice, they can then take that and share that with the kids. That's why I'm a very big, I love like bringing it into the schools. That's my biggest thing. Like, I, I love like that. Doing and that. that. That's something that I've been most excited to see you do and um, hopefully be a part of in the future, because I, Absolutely. I, think, that's, I think that's the one of the more important things that we can do, especially with being aware of what we are. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, that's one of my favorite things. Um, that I've been doing and I'm, I'm looking forward to. Um, I, I don't want to take up any more of your time. This might be one of the longer podcasts that I've done. And I knew yeah. that I could end up talking to you for hours. I'll probably think of a million more questions. I would love to have you back on in the future when Absolutely, I can Michael. organize those questions. Um, yeah, we I, can even think if you want like specific things that you want us okay. to talk about. And I'll, I'll do a little like I could come from different perspectives. I, I, figured, so, yeah. I figured that the first time I'll, I have so much, I, I mean, it. I have things written down, but I figured we would just end up creating our own conversation um, like we did. But yeah, I'll come up with more organized questions. Um, yeah, but thank you for spending this time with me. No, thank you so much, Michael. It was an honor to be here with you.